But no, it's all good. Let's go right into it this morning. Um, we've been um, on this trek, and I thought I'd be done, but, you know, it's not about a teaching. It's not just about, it's really about what the Lord puts on my heart. And it's really been interesting to me because I've discovered even some things in my life as I've pursued this, you know, the question, what is spiritual? You know, what, what does that even mean? And it's amazing what the Bible teaches us versus what religion has made out of it, and it's so different. And a lot of us have been, you know, if I can put it this way, under the influence of religion from whatever your background is. So it's not about a religion, you know, regardless of what, you know, I grew up Baptist my whole life. Um, my wife, of course, she came from the Catholic Church. But, you know, it doesn't matter what church you came from, you know, if we're not careful, you know, you, you begin to track certain things in your life that aren't completely according to the, to the word. And I just want to quote one scripture before I get into it. And that's in Mark chapter 7, verse 13. I'll just quote it. You can look it up if you want to. But it basically says a little tiny statement that Jesus is really addressing the religious spirit. And he says, your traditions have made the word of no effect. And, you know, sometimes you ask people, what's more powerful than the word of God? Well, the answer is nothing. Yes, nothing is more powerful, but there's something that will nullify it, and that is traditional thinking. And that is something that we've been trying to understand for the last few weeks. So we've covered everything from you know, the fruit of the Spirit, that spirituality is actually things that can be seen by other people. Amen? Are you all still here this morning? Come on, amen? Spirituality can be seen as you develop the fruit of the Spirit, you know, which is love, faith, peace, hope, you know, long-suffering. Well, that's an old word for patience. Some of you, yeah, I relate more to the long-suffering than patience, but, you know, it's all those things are developed, and we're never done developing that. I'll tell you that right now. You're never, you're never going to be done developing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know, it's something that it's just, you just got to be aware of it. So I want to go into Romans chapter 8 this morning. And you can go ahead and put it up there if you like. Romans chapter 8, I want to start with a great, great chapter. And I'm going to, I just skipped through some sections of Romans 8. um, But you should study it out. It's really powerful. And it really is about understanding and grabbing a hold of what spirituality is. So let's go ahead and read in verse 6. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll read all the way down to verse 16, and then we'll take it from there. So Romans chapter 8 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And I want you to let that just sink there, because what Romans 8 is going to work on, and what Paul is trying to do, or trying to teach us to the, to the letter that he wrote to the Romans, to the Roman church, is really about a mindset. Everybody say mindset. mindset. And that's exactly what I mean. You know, you set your mind. You know the reason you're here this morning? Because all of you, unless you were forced, <laughs> set your mind to come to church. You know, even the Laredo bunch, you know, they set their mind even more because they got to drive 50 miles to get here. But, you know, you make a decision, right? And then everything in your life kind of gravitates towards that decision. And that's how everything is, you know. Um, when I have a job, you know, in the business that I'm involved in, I usually, you know, think about the next day, and I kind of visualize everything I'm going to do. Anybody does that? You know, say, okay, I've got to go out there, and I'm going to do this, I've got to do this. And I kind of just format it. What am I doing? I'm setting my mind. I'm setting my mind so the next day it's not like, what am I going to do? And I think mindset is one of the things that we have to understand, because spirituality is really about a mindset. Amen? And let's keep reading, because you'll see it here. It's, it, it clears up really nice. It says, because the carnal mind, carnal means flesh, you know, as, as Hispanics or Latinos or Mexicans, whatever you want to call our background, we understand the word carne, right? Carnal is where you get the word carne. 
which is, basically means you can have a mindset that is all about the exterior. And that is a pretty dangerous place to be. And, and I think, I'm not going to speak for everybody, I'll speak for myself. If I'm not careful, you know, I'll, I'll watch so much news or I'll watch something, and my mind kind of sets on that, and then I get really mad about whatever is going on. Amen? And you, sometimes you just got to turn it off, right? Because your mind sets. And I want you to keep thinking about that, because spirituality is about a mindset. More than, you know, and we're going to look at some things this morning, you know, more, about, more even so than going to church and all these things. This is important. We're here to learn. We're here to grow. But more than anything, we're here to set our minds on something that is different. Amen? And he goes, because of the carnal mind is en- enmity, or that's in other words for enemy against God. So you have the flesh realm, you have the spiritual realm, and you're kind of in the middle of it because you operate in both realms. And I think sometimes people, we have to understand that you can't just turn off spirituality when you leave the church, or you can't just turn it on, because a lot of us associate the building and everything about what we're doing with spirituality, and that is correct, but what happens is we have an, a, a tendency, because that's just human nature, to say, okay, I'm going to church, so therefore I am spiritual. Amen? What happens, though, when you leave the church? <laughs> then you take your mindset... And you switch off the spiritual part, and now it's carnal mind. And carnal mind is not necessarily a sinful thing. It just simply means you begin to process everything through the five senses. And we would call it the gates. You know, you got the ear gate, the eye gate, the mouth gate. And all those are gates to your soul. So you can be spiritual, and I, you know, don't raise your hand. I'm sure it's happened to somebody. You can be, oh, that was an amazing service, but you had to get home and somebody parked behind you. And they, and they weren't in such a hurry to leave the church as you were. And you went, in between two minutes, you went from being spiritual to being completely in strife and angry because somebody parked behind you. Now, don't raise your hand. How many can relate to that? Amen? <laughs> so that is the mindset, right? We, we, we set our mind to something, and then we set our mind in, into other things, sometimes subconsciously. Nonetheless, we're doing it. So let's keep reading, and you'll see it, because it says that that mindset is contrary to God. And what I really want to work this morning, you know, we'll, we'll see some things. I mean, there's just a lot of ground to cover, and if I finish today, fine. If not, we'll finish it next week. But it, it says, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, one of the things that we've learned, especially if you come to this church, that one of the things that pleases God is faith. Amen? Amen? Faith pleases God. Because faith is telling God, I trust you. Yes. You know, I trust you. And in the book of Romans, it also says anything that's not of faith is sin, which is pretty interesting. We talked a lot about sin being a location, all these things last week. So we are placed, I'm going to put the right, find the right words, there's a demand on us to be faith people. In other words, that our spiritual side of us actually is greater than the flesh side. And that's really what makes you spiritual. That's really when you begin to track the spirituality. Let's keep reading. So, but you are not in the flesh, verse 9, but in the spirit. So, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, the word quicken is makes alive, your mortal bodies. By his spirit that dwells in you. Now let's, let's break down verse 11 before we go into 12. It says, 
But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. When you say Jesus come into my heart, when you give your life to God, you know, there's a difference between the gift of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, we, we believe in that. We believe the Bible, you know, from the table of contents to the book of maps. And only really religious people understand that. We believe the whole thing. And that there's an area that's called the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not what we're talking about. When you, you cannot say, you cannot give your life to Jesus and not have the Spirit of God come with it. You can't separate them. They're three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he's telling you, but if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will make alive your mortal bodies. Now this is really interesting, this connection, because this is where we have to understand this. And, and when you see the Christian lifestyle, obviously we know we talk about there's, there's nobody that's perfect in this room except Jesus, amen? amen. But we are on a track and we're trying to reflect our lives off his perfection. All right? But listen to this, because this is where people disconnect. you got to understand that what happens in your spirit is completely related to what's happening in the carnal realm. If your spirit is growing, because this is, a, this is pretty powerful, if you let the spirit of God work in you, your flesh realm, or the, the, you know, Paul, uh, King James uses the word mortal, but mortal is basically saying, in other words, the, the realm where we will all cease to exist, this part, the flesh, he says, the Spirit of God in you will make alive that realm. Now, this is where it gets really exciting because Christianity to me, and, and I'll tell you one, from, pretty much from day one, after I had, most of you know my testimony, but you know, when I was completely delivered and set free from the way I was living, the next conversation I had with God, you know, probably I would say day one, but it was within a couple days because we, we needed everything in our life. We were broke. We were disgusted, we were everything, I was saved, but my wife was worn out because I hadn't been saved for so long. But we still had a, a process of restoration, and I realized that if I develop my spirit man, th you will see the evidence in the natural world. Are you still here? Because, if, for example, prosperity, let's, let's just mention this one. When you talk about prosperity, you know, obviously a lot of people refer to that, you know, you'll think, well, it's talking about money. Well, money is part of it, but it means, you know, peace in your life. But you begin to say, if I develop my spirit man, the consequences of that is that in the natural realm, things are going to get better. Are you still here? You know, my health's going to get better, my finances are going to get better, my marriage is going to get better, my kids are going to get better. You know, everything begins to, in the mortal or in the flesh realm. That's why it's vital that, you know, you understand this this morning, because spirituality is about understanding what is the main thing in your life that you've got to grow and that is your spirit person. You have a spirit person. Everybody does that. You know, you are a three, you know, just like God is a triune being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. So you're also three in one. Amen? So the flesh realm, we understand that. That's the one we deal with, go to work, talk to people, deal with everything we deal with in the flesh. Then you have your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. But then you have the spirit part of you. And your flesh, you know, at some point will go to a place, uh, to a grave. That doesn't mean you're dead. Remember, in Bible terms, death is never referred to as ceasing to exist because from God's perspective, there's no such thing as death. Amen? Simply, you're going to go to another realm. You'll either spend eternity with God or you'll spend eternity without God. 
But death, spiritual, spiritual death, simply means separation from God. That's all it means. You've been unplugged from God. All right? Let's, let's keep going here. So therefore, brethren, verse 12, if you can just go with me, RJ, back there. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Pay attention to this because the word debtor means we owe not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. In other words, that, again, that word death does not mean ceasing to exist. simply means you are living a life without God. And, you know, let me just plug in my opinion here briefly. But you look at the state of this nation, and this is not a, a political statement or much less. I'm not going to use the holy desk to do that. But you look at the, the, the America as a whole. Now, obviously, as America goes, the rest of the world goes. But you look at America in the condition that we're in today, we've really become a very godless society. You know, the last 70 years, and, and God knows what's coming down the pipe from this one, we've celebrated National Day of Prayer. It doesn't matter who was in office. It doesn't matter if they believe in God or not. They still had National Day of Prayer. And they would bring every religion, and they would represent every religion in America. Well, this year, we didn't have that. First year ever. I mean, first, year in, in, first time in 70 years that a sitting president decided not to have National Day of Prayer. And it wasn't just about Christianity. They'd have, you know, the Muslims and the Jewish and, the, and everybody up there. But to me, it was pretty interesting because National Day of Prayer was not established for the Muslims. We, they include them because, you know, you've got to be politically correct. It was done because of Christianity. And I am convinced, you know, you can change my mind if you want to. I don't think you can, but this nation, when it was connected to the spiritual side as a nation, you know, there's always been trouble, but it seems like we weren't where we are today. So you see, you see a nation separating or divorcing itself from its spirituality and really becoming a carnal, you know, removing God from the equation, and you see the consequences. And it's a mess, you know, morally, um, you know, just all kinds of, of levels. And, and you know, you, you, you begin to understand that the, the levels of immorality, the violence, the racism, all these crazy things that are going on and on, and the rhetoric that is out there is a consequence of divorcing yourself from the spirit side of it. Because America was founded on the principles of God. You know, you don't have, it does, it's not if you agree with it, that's just history. You know, and they might try to change that later, but that's still history. So what happens now on your level? It's exactly the same thing. When you disconnect from God, it doesn't, and I'm most, I don't know if some, some of you have had that experience, you know, don't raise your hand, but maybe, you know, in your life you were connected to God for a while, and, you know, and then for whatever reason you started to separate yourself a little bit from God, a little bit from church, a little bit from this. Well, your life didn't get better. <laughs> Amen. Your life didn't go from, ooh, thank God I'm out of church now, everything's great. Most of us can associate the benefits in our life. I look at our life, and I'll tell you, my wife and I, we, we, are, a, we are blessed. Yes, we go through stuff. Yes, we go through all kinds of stuff. But I look at you know, our present situation, and I'm saying, God, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. So we see that the evidence of spirituality is manifested in the flesh realm through prosperity and peace and health and so forth. So th that is what Paul you know, was referring to. He says, for as many are led, let me go to verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you will die, meaning you're disconnected from your life source. But if through the spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And in other words, says, if you live by the spirit, you will be able to control or put to death those things in the flesh that you know are toxic to you. 
Everything from, you know, from attitudes to addictions. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. We all are aware, you know, maybe some of you are hyper-holy, I'm not. But um, we, most of us are aware of the areas of our life that God is dealing with us. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, amen. Now, if you sit there and say, well, Pastor, I'm perfect, you need to preach and I'll sit down because I need to hear you, right? <laughs> because we're all, we all have that self-awareness that there are areas of our life that are not producing life. I guess that's where I'm trying to go with this. Let's keep going. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds, you shall live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now we're going to get to that here briefly. But he says, you have not received the spirit of bondage of what? Again to fear. Now one of the things we're going to, we're going to deal with briefly this morning, you know, if we, if we get to it, is one of the, one of the consequences, or one of the, no, not consequences, one of the, the evidence that you're not on track is that fear begins to rise in your life. You know? You hear a bump in the middle of the night, and you know, pretty soon you're thinking somebody's breaking into your house, and it was that stupid cat that knocked the lamp down. That's why I don't have cats. You know, you don't go, you don't, you know, you don't think, oh, that was something normal that happened. You have a tendency to go to a place called fear. How many know what I'm talking about? So, you know, fear is something we're going to address this morning. But here's what, what one, of the, one of the indicators that you're not in the place you should be is when you begin to fear everything. Right. You know, I was thinking last year, this Sunday is when we reopened our church, isn't that? And there's still churches today that are closed. Right, yeah. All across the world, and even in America, there's churches that are, now we're, we know we're not, we're still, they don't want to say it, but they say that we're still scared of the coronavirus. Now, I think you should understand it and respect it and so forth and so on, but we made a decision you guys remember that? Last, um, last year around late February, early March, we said, we're not participating in that. We'll take care. We'll put our little masks on, you know. We'll sanitize. Our, our hands are falling off. They're so dry. <laughs> but we're not going to participate. And I was telling my daughter this morning, you know, um, I had a little, I, I guess something last night, I got a little something I ate or wasn't supposed to eat or I ate too much or something. And of course, she works in the medical field and, and I respect that. And, and she says, are you have shortness of breath? And I know where she was going with all that. And I'm like, I'm like, honey, I don't get coronavirus. I don't get the flu because <laughs> I, I choose not to participate. The way you choose to participate is to be in fear. Hello. So we're, we're going we're to break some of this down later on because we, we need to understand these are key words in being spiritual because you know we have to break that that idea that spirituality is just going to church and, you know, just reading your Bible. and No, no the, the Bible talks a lot more about spirituality, and it really is how do you process the flesh realm? How do you move in the flesh realm really determines how spiritual you are. How do you react to the news? How do you react to bad news? How do you react to times where there is evidence of fear or, or there's fear all around you? like it was last year and even still today, some of it. But that really is the indicator. Now, let's keep going in this. And I like this one because this is really where I want to go. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. 
Now, the word Abba, we did a, I think we did a series a year, year ago or a couple years ago just on that idea of Abba. Abba is, the, is a Greek word that is the equivalent of our word daddy. It is a very, you know, close, intimate way and affectionate. You know, it was kind of funny in, in, in our house, and, and it, was, it didn't really happen on purpose, but all my grandkids call me daddy. So we had to mix everything up because, you know, now Maurice is Papa, I'm supposed to be Papa, but he's Papa because I'm Daddy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, and they all call me that. And I didn't tell them, you've got to call me this. It just, you know, just came out that way. But, you know, that, that to me, every time they come and say that, that is so, that's that closeness. And I think this is what you understand about this, because we're going to deal with, we're still dealing with getting rid of condemnation and guilt and all these things. But Abba, well, let me put it this way. Who makes the choice to be adopted? Think about that. It's not a trick question. Just think about it. If you were to adopt a child, who makes the choice? You do. Okay? Not the child. Now, the child might not, be with, not might want to go with you, but you've set all the papers and all the motions, and you decided to take a child that is not yours and bring him into your home and raise him as one of your own. And give him your last name. So think about this, because one of the things that religion does to us, and religion is saturated with fear. When I say religion, I always say the disclaimer, because I know, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a spirit of religious attitudes and religious thinking. And one of the things is, and, and, and I'll, I'll get to some of my notes, I'm kind of ahead of where I need to be, but the adoption is a choice made by the parent. And I want you to get that. If you don't get anything else out of this this morning, you were chosen by God. He knew you were all messed up. Come on, I, you guys look so holy this morning. Oh, my God. How many have still have a lot of issues? Raise your hand. I'll raise both hands and toes. And thank you. Thank you, Lord. So God knew you had all these issues. God knew you had all this hang-ups and issues and so forth and so on. And guess what? He still decided to adopt you. Amen? He knew exactly what he was buying when he got you. And we came with a lot of damage. We came with a lot of social and, you know, all kinds of different things in our life. And God still decided to adopt you. And I think this is one of the things you've got to get a hold of. You are here today because God chose you to be here. That's how much you matter to him. And if you were the last person on the planet, if you were the only person on the planet, God would put Jesus on the cross just for you. Even though he did it for billions and billions of people, he would do it just for one person. So that, to me, kind of sets things in motion in my life because regardless of how I'm doing, you know, and again, we're not, this is not an excuse to, for bad behavior, but when we miss it, i go, I got to go back to that idea to say, wait, 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 Lord, you adopted me. You chose to adopt me. You found me in my mess. You find me in the, in the hole that I was living in, and you decided to pull me out, wash me, clean me up, and, ex and call me family. So that right there, now you begin to really define spirituality. Can you receive what God offered to you? Can you see him as Abba? Not just as, oh, heavenly, great father, you know, the great judge that is trying to strike us all down. No, he is daddy to you. Amen? For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You have received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. And then he goes on to say, the spirit itself, correct translation would be himself, beareth witness 
with our spirit, now here we go, so that tells you you have a spirit, that we are children of God. So now spirituality is not just about all the things we do to, to be spiritual, there's a testimony in our life. There is something in our life that is, that is bearing a witness. Amen? There's bearing a witness that we are children of God. We're not just, you know, old, you know, I, I talked a lot about this last week, so I don't want to <laughs> bury myself in that, but we're not old sinners saved by grace. We were sinners, grace showed up, we're family. Amen. And we have rights. And we have his last name, if I can say that. And our spirit man is the one that's bearing witness, not your soulish man or soulish person, not your flesh person, it's your spirit person that is bearing the witness. And that witness, and, and so what I'm saying, if you don't develop that spirit man, you're not going to develop that voice of the witness. Are you here? All right, let's keep going. Now, let's go to Luke 16. Let me show you something here, because now we're going to start navigating where I need to go. That was just kind of the introduction. Luke 16 In verse 14 and 15, it says, Now the Jewish religious leaders, listening to Jesus, okay, before I keep reading, who was listening to Jesus? Religious leaders. Everybody say religious leaders. All right? It's, and you've got to read the whole chapter, actually, but I just wanted to pull out these snippets because the whole thing is Jesus is addressing that religious spirit. Because what I want to show you this morning, you know, we talk a lot about it in this church, and we hit it here and there, but I want to kind of focus a little bit on this idea of what is this religious spirit? What, what is this thing that he's talking about? So Jesus, and he says, we're lovers of money. They laughed at what he said and mocked his teachings. Now remember something about, I've been reading, a, well, listening, it's an audio book, but it's, it really is about understanding Jesus from the Jewish perspective. It's super interesting. You know, if you like that kind of stuff, I recommend it, because we as westernized people, we have to understand sometimes the historical aspect of Jesus being a Middle Eastern man and a Jewish and the time that he was there. Because as a Jew, Jesus did all the Jewish things you're supposed to do. He went to the synagogue every Saturday. He participated in all the feasts. He was studying. He was in studies to be a rabbi, and that's why they called him rabbi. They didn't just call him rabbi because that was a cute little word. He had gone through the process to become a rabbi. And he loved... so. So they were very, now this is not, you know, a big gigantic city. These are very, very small communities. And the same people that are mocking Jesus know, know, have known Jesus his whole life. So, so you've got to relate. He didn't just show up haphazardly and somebody didn't know who he was. More than likely they knew who he was. And they're listening to his teachings, but his teachings are coming to something that is hitting them really, really, really close at home, which is their false spirituality. Are you still here? I know this is the one message which you want to say, I hope somebody behind me is listening to it because they really need to hear it. No, you need to hear this. So get over that. And I'm glad my husband's sitting because he really needs to know. You need to hear this. Because Jesus really addresses something. He says, so Jesus addressed them directly. You always want to look spiritual in the eyes of others. Let that one just hang in there a little bit. Is that who we are? Is, you know, is that something still going on today? Oh, yes, of course. You know, 
and we have to address this because spirituality is a very personal thing. And, and again, you know, you know how I, I, I say that I oversay the, the same phrases, but you know, we, we come to church and again, we walk into this environment and we turn on the spirituality because you don't talk this way at work. Glory to God, amen, glory, hallelujah. How you doing, sister? God bless you. You go to your boss, he says, good morning, and you say, oh, I'm so blessed of the Lord. They'd move your desk way back in the corner, like, yeah, watch out for her. No, you know, we, we, and I'm not saying you have to be that way, but it's weird how that dynamic happens. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that, and I'd rather hear you guys speak Christianese than the other stuff, right? But it is weird how that dynamic, because this is, the, this is one little thing I wanted to pull out this whole thing, is you always want to look spiritual in the eyes of others. Well, here's a question. Why don't you try to look spiritual in your own eyes? Because what happens when we don't understand this point, then we become judgmental. And I, I man, boy, I wanted to preach that so bad, but I'm not. But most of you know the story about the speck and the two by four, right? Jesus said, how can you help your brother? Because you notice he has a speck in his eye when you have a board coming out of your own eye. So spirituality really is about self-awareness. So I'm not trying to look spiritual in the eyes of anybody. Because you know who knows me the best other than God? This lady right here. All these little grandkids that are hover around me. My kids, that are glory to God, they're in church. Both My whole family's in church today. I guess my daughter's tending to Cammie because she's a handful. That's all right. But these are the people that don't, you know, maybe my wife had a choice or just, you know, but my kids don't have to be here. They've lived under this environment for almost 30 years. And they've seen my best and my worst, and they've seen us fight. Oh, y'all look at me so judgmental, like, y'all don't know fight. They've seen us go through difficult times. And they've had to judge for themselves, is my dad spiritual or not? Because spirituality is not something I want to make you think I am. Actually, I'll be honest with you, I love you guys, I really do, but I could care less what you think. <laughs> well, maybe that's not true. I do care because there's a testimony to God. But I don't care about myself. Amen? Years and years and years and years ago, I was barely starting in the ministry. And there's a guy, still, I still run into him every once in a while. Nothing wrong, he's a good guy, but, you know, I always would wear, you know, I was already in the ministry. But, you know, my regular attire is not this. Yeah, I'm, I'm jeans and, you know, most of the time it's work boots and a t-shirt. And he'd see me a lot in that, and he'd try to give me a lecture once. He said, you know, as a pastor, you should be dressing. And I'm like, What? I said, you want scriptures for that? <laughs> because Jesus addressed that too. He says, you look whitewashed tomb. Man, you get beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. Amen? The only per people that Jesus got really irritated with were the religious people. Not only did he cleanse the temple on purpose, it wasn't just he had a bad day. He, he, he went in one day, read the story, Mark 11. He goes one day, checks it out, goes back to Bethany, makes a whip. I can see him braiding that thing, and his disciples, what are you doing? You're just braiding? You're knitting Jesus? He braided a whip. 
He went back the next day and whipped them all out of church. So if I come to church one day with a whip, Yeah, we'll be more modern. We'll just use a cattle prong. Yeah. No, Jesus could not stand what religion had done. And this is within his own religion, though. He's not coming against the Gentiles. He's not coming in. He's, this is just his own church. Remember that. These are the same people that were mocking him. And he went there and whipped them out. He said, my house will not be a den of thieves. This is a house of prayer. And he could not stand what they had done with it. He could not stand because, you know, grace is not just a New Testament idea. Grace is all through the whole Bible. Remember this, Jesus' ministry, for those of you that like to study the word, the context of it is Old Testament, all of it. There's no New Testament till the resurrection of Christ. So everything that Jesus is doing has to be within the context of the Old Covenant. And he addresses grace, and he addresses faith, and he addresses all these things. So all these things are part of the Old Covenant. But they had made a mess out of it. They had made a, a, a huge mess where, they, where the priesthood was completely disconnected from the needs of the people, and that's what, Jesus, what made Jesus stand out, because Jesus was willing to go down to the dirty and get dirty, and you would see him hanging out with the thieves and hanging out with the prostitutes and hanging out with the wine-bibbers and hanging out with the tax collectors, hanging out with the lepers, and the Pharisees could not stand that because they're like, hey, you're, you're supposed to be a rabbi. I mean, and like I said, if you read Luke 16, the whole chapter is about this. I'm just pulling out a couple of scriptures. The whole chapter is about this. And they even start, how come your disciples don't wash their hands? I mean, it started with, with you know, these, these ideas of what religion had done. So, so Jesus is, is on this track, and he says, you want to look spiritual in the eyes of others, but you have forgotten the eyes of God, which sees what is inside you. The very things that you approve of and applaud are the things that God despises. That's pretty heavy words. Well, that's, you know what? That still applies today. Because as Christians, if we're not careful, we say, I am spiritual, but your spirituality is more about saying you're better than anybody. Somebody's like, I thought he was going to have a Mother's Day message. This is a mother. <laughs> Moms, teach this to your kids. That's your Mother's Day message right there. Mother's Day message. Happy Mother's Day. That's my message right there. Okay, let's break it down. Give me the next one, Archie. Let's just go. Let me show you some of these things. So, I've already said some of these things, but just to break it down in outline form. Religion. On the whole, a formal religion is often an objective experience. In other words, there is usually a greater focus on the externals. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, you want to appear spiritual. And some of these externals, again, none of these are necessarily wrong, but it's, you know, the houses of worship, books of scripture, ex ex eternal rituals, or observances. Now, that's, again, none of those are necessarily wrong. The problem is, if those things are greater than the spiritual experience that you're having, then there's a problem. Which house of worship? We're here. You know, we're here with our books of scripture. You know, God's word is an amazing book. It's a living, breathing document like no other document in history, except it will be nullified by traditions. I know people, you probably know some people, I know people that know the Bible way better than I do. 
But, there, but when it comes to the natural life, the real life, there's really no evidence. Because this Bible promises health, prosperity, peace, you know, wisdom, all these things. And you, and you see these people that have all this word knowledge, but it just seems to be in their head, and there's never any manifestation of it. And that is what Jesus was referring to. So, so you find, you know, we, yes, we base everything on books of Scripture. Yes, we have, you know, we even have rituals here. We, have, we do water baptisms, if you want to call it that, a ritual. I know that's kind of a religious word. But, you know, we, we have um, Holy Communion. We present babies. You know, we marry people. We bury people. Those could be considered religious rituals. and nothing wrong with that. That's what a church should do. But a church has to be way more than that. Do you agree with that? Two people agree with that. All right. Give me the next one, all right? This is the equivalent of object referral in which your attention is placed on the objects in your experience. I know there's a lot of big words here, but just track with me. Spirituality. So spirituality, however, leans more towards self-referral. It, or the internalization of your awareness of your soul. So now spirituality is not about, I want to just go to church so people can see me how spiritual I am. There is something inside of you now that is causing you to draw to this. If church was to disappear tomorrow, would you still be a spiritual person? Hopefully the answer is yes. Because spirituality has nothing to do with church. Church should help you grow your spirituality. But at the end of the day, spirituality is that inner self-awareness that only you and you can figure it out. Or can I put you and God? Let's keep reading on this note that I put up there. Spirituality is an inward journey that involves a shift in awareness rather than some external activity. As such, spirituality is more about the inner understanding than the outer worship. This is not to say that worship is not part of the spirituality. It's a matter of where the devotion and worship are directed. Are you still here this morning? So what am I saying with all these long notes? You know, it's basically... I'm on the spiritual journey. Am I there yet? No, I'm not. And I have long conversations with God, and most of the conversations of God are about, help me, change me, fix this. I need you, Jesus. I don't wait till Saturday night to say, oh my gosh, I've got to preach something on Sunday. It's like un sandwich. El sandwicho. You go to my notes pull out an outline of 30 years old, and I'm sure it's good. No, I don't do that. I'm, I'm thinking all week. And most of the stuff that I teach are things that either I am processing already or I have already gone through, and hopefully I can build a bridge for you and get you to that place quicker. But spirituality is a very intimate and very personal pursuit. And really, I'm telling you, it has little to do with this. This is great, and we need each other, and we need the fellowship, and we need to hang out together and all this, but spirituality is a self-referral. It is, every one of you should be able to analyze your spiritual life this moment and say, how spiritual I am. Well, Pastor, how can I tell? Well, how did you react in the latest negative moment of your life? When things didn't go your way, when somebody didn't talk bad about you, or, or, you know, somebody cut you off, or somebody said something, or a circumstance didn't go your way. That's, that's, you know, that's something that only you and you can tell, and myself also. I look back and say, okay, yeah, I could have 
handle that better. I could have said something better. Because spirituality is that self-awareness. Now, the last, let, me, let me just say one note off the last sentence. This is not to say that worship is not part of spirituality. Of course worship is part of spirituality. And by the way, what is worship? Everything. It's not just the music, everything. Worship is, is the old, you know, the old English word for worship was worth. W-O-R-T-H. So it was worthship. What's the value that God has in your life? What's the value that you give him? That's only you can give him that. And nobody has to know exactly what it is. All right, let's go to the next one. So let's bring this back because these are some of the things. There's another thing, but I think I'm going to deal with that one next week. Because I was trying to summarize two key indicators of how spiritual I am. Well, the first one would be fear. How do I process those? Because let's just, let's just, um, well, let's just go to the scripture. Let's read the scripture. It's all in there. Fear versus love. That's what we're going to talk about. Because remember that little word I told you previously, Abba, Father? That means God loves you. That's Daddy loves you. Okay? So, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if God did not give you a spirit of fear, it can only come from another source. <laughs> All right? Now, I'm not going to do a whole teaching on fear because that's not the, the, the scope of this, of this teaching this morning, but I do want to bring you at least the, you know, the, the summarized version of fear. All of us have dealt with fear in some form of our life. I've heard some people say, a little bit of fear is healthy. I don't think so. You, know, you can be aware of things, but you're not fearful of them. Because really, fear is a choice, but also fear is a choice based on how deep your relationship is with God. Because you cannot eliminate fear by coming to church. You eliminate fear by knowing him. Amen? And if, and if I ask you, what are the things that you fear? Don't, you don't have to make a list, but you know, little words that we say, I'm concerned, I'm worried. Because I've heard people say, well, I'm not, I'm not really in fear over this. I'm just worried about it. You might as well call it what it is. It's fear. In the book of Job... One of the key scriptures to understand the book of Job is Job said, everything I have feared has come upon me. Because some people say, look what God did to Job. God didn't do nothing to Job. Satan did it all to Job. It says right there, it says, well, how come God let him? God told him, Satan, he's in your hands. Job gave him place through fear. I'm not going to go into the story of Job, but it's an interesting scripture that says, everything I have feared has come upon me. And kind of, you know, a, a one-minute teaching on fear. You know, fear and faith are basically the same force, except it's twisted. Yeah, yeah. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith in your heart and faith in your mouth is what makes the word work. Amen. I know a lot of people don't read, but yeah, you know, you have what you say. So the devil didn't really, you know, faith is a spiritual force. The devil just twists it. And the spiritual force of faith that connects you to the promises of God is the same thing that connects you to the devil, but now it's called fear. And fear comes by hearing and hearing the voice of the devil. And fear goes in your heart and fear goes in your mouth and you will have what you say. And I think there's a lot of self-discipline here because you want to talk about spirituality? I'll give you, and, and Jesus actually said it, if we, would, if we would have kept reading in Luke, he actually said it. He says, what defiles a man is not what goes in, it's what comes out. You want to hear where you are spiritually? Hear yourself talk. Especially under crisis mode. Especially under when things aren't going your way mode. You know, what are the words that are, that are flowing out of your mouth? Because that will tell you exactly how spiritual you are. Because, you know, again, we can come to church and we all think we're all very spiritual, 
But as soon as something doesn't go your way, and instead of saying, no, God's got this, Daddy has this, you come and just vomit all the negativity. And not only that, you begin to paint people with it. What I mean paint is somebody's having a good day, but now you put all that negativity on somebody else. Now they're having a bad day because of you. Mm-hmm. And it's just coming out, and then you wonder why things don't work in your life. And then you go for the famous list. I go to church, I pay my tithe, I pray, I don't know, I don't know why this is happening to me. I know exactly why it's happening to you, because listen to yourself talk. Nothing ever goes my way, you have what you say. I'm always sick and tired, yeah, that's why you're sick and tired. I know you. Some of you have to master the sounds of silence. You guys got real quiet with that one. Not right now. You don't have to say everything. Kenneth Hagin said it this way. He said, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. We all have thoughts. We all have negative thoughts. That's what I'm telling you. Sometimes you need to turn off the news, you know. Or people. Because <laughs> if all you're hearing is negativity, what goes into a man is going to come out, and out of the abundance of... <laughs> you guys know that one, right? Whatever you're full of is going to come out of your mouth. If you're full of the word, the word's going to come out. Because, you know, that's faith. Faith doesn't... Faith doesn't change because of the circumstances. Faith is faith. In the, the Word of God says, by his stripes I was healed. That's it. If my body is broken and fighting sickness and disease, that doesn't make me not spiritual. That just means I've got to get on with the program and establish some things in my life and say, nope, devil, you're not doing this. I'm telling you, last night it was, it was kind of weird. I, I'm finally figuring out that the devil's behind this completely because a few weeks ago I, I got hit almost with the same thing and I missed, I missed the service here. I didn't miss it in Laredo, but... Last night I was going, I came, we get, came home, we had a little birthday dinner for my wife, because that was her birthday. Aww. She looks really good for 37, right? Just, just leave it at that. I have a rough weekend, because her birthday and Mother's Day are back to back. I mean, that's, that's an expensive weekend for me. And I was going through chills and all that, and I'm like, and the devil says, well, you're going to have to call H. And I'm like, no, I'm not. My wife says, you're going to church tomorrow? And even Kate says, you, I says, we're going to church. We're not going to play this game. But if you would have, the way I was feeling last night, the way I'm feeling today, it's completely different. But I made a decision. You don't, you don't get to do that. Are you still here? So your position in the word in relationship to everyday activities is really now begin to define your spirituality. How do you process things at work? Do you process them completely with a natural thinking? I'm, talking, I'm not talking about your, your job description. You've got to do your job. I'm talking about work tensions or people that aren't... Because here's, th- here's what happens with Christians. You know, we, we hear something here, and we go back to the real world, and we expect people to... No, they don't have any idea what's going on. I mean, they, you know, and I mean, going back to what you see on the news, all these riots and this thing about the racial tension, it is so ridiculous. Amen? I'm not afraid to say it. I'm not racist. I don't care what they call it. And I'm trying to figure out what white privilege is because I bust my you-know-what to make some money. I'm out there with poseras and making concrete. Is that white privilege? 
Well, again, I'm, I'm a beaner, so I'm good. Viva la raza, right? So I guess it doesn't qualify for white privilege. But I mean, it's, it's just people out there that don't have God are expected to act that way. And crazy and violent and angry at everything. But people that have God, hello church, there should be a difference, right? That's, I don't judge people for where they are. I mean, that, that's how we all were. Before Jesus, we were the same, come on. But everything that's going on in this country, just, you know, it rubs me the wrong way to the point you're saying, like, really? But then you realize these people have no life in them. They don't have that light. And as a believer, you have a greater responsibility to shine that light. Didn't Jesus say? The light of love, the light of God. And fear is really one of those things because what is racism to begin with? It's fear on both sides. The people that are actually racist fear people because of the color of their skin, which is absolutely ridiculous. I heard a black man say this. He says, black people can't be racist. I'm like, really? Ask the Asians. Well, that doesn't make the news because it doesn't fit the narrative. But they, most of the attacks that were happening on the Asian people a few weeks ago were going from black on Asian. Hello, church. No, that spirit is demonic at every level. I was explaining to a, to a friend of mine that, that, that's, that's black, but he's, you know, he's, he's all right. I'm not going to say nothing about him, but he goes to that, ex, you know, he doesn't see things. I said, well, you know what? In Mexico, we don't have racism. Our racism in Mexico is finances. You can be black as night. If you got it, you're in. You can be white as milk. If, you can be white as milk, and if you don't got it, people will look down on you. I mean, racism is at every place. I don't want to get on the racist trip, but I'm just saying it's like enough already, right? Because we're not all like that. And actually, even the narrative for, for law enforcement, that's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous what, what they're doing, talking about, oh, all cops are bad. and all that. No, they're not. Yes, you've got a few bad apples, but it's a minority. And by the way, if you don't want to get shot, don't resist arrest. Hello. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You'll be fine. No, this, I'm saying, and all that comes, my point of this, I'm not trying to get a political statement, my point of that, all that comes from people that don't have life in them. And they're operating, when you don't have the life of God, you're operating in fear. You might not see it as fear, but you're, you're intimidated by somebody else, either by financial or race or whatever. So let's go back to this. Is God has not given us a spirit of fear. So what is the spirit of fear? What is the counter if I can put it this way, what counter punches fear? Well, it's the power of the Spirit of God, it's the love of God, and it's a sound mind. You know, people say, well, Christians, you guys are all crazy. No, we're not. We're probably the most sound mind people there are. Because the Spirit of God in you, because we're talking about spirituality, so spiritual people have learned something. They're not by themselves in this anymore. Spiritual people have realized that if I develop my spirit man and I connect it to my daddy in heaven, I'm going to walk in power, I'm going to walk in authority, I'm going to walk in love, and I'm going to walk with right thinking. Are you still here? Let's go to the next one. Now, let me break it down. Let's go back to this idea about religion. Religion, despite the best intentions, religion can sometimes contain a subtle or not subtle undercurrent of fear woven into their teaching. Some of you might have been victims of this. 
You know, I grew up, even though I grew up non-Catholic, or, you know, because we're in a Catholic community, and I respect that, I respect everybody's beliefs, I would never come against your beliefs, but I grew up Baptist, but in Baptist, you know, in Baptist moms, being Mexican moms, we had the equivalent of la chancla, the spiritual equivalent of the chancla is, Diosito te va a castigar. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? So now you're like in absolute fear of God. So religion, and then, you know, I, there's churches all over the world today. Hopefully it's not this one. But they're full of people, but they're all full of fear. Because the preacher's been drilling into their head, if you don't come to church, God's going to, well, you better show up in church. Because else they, they're going to say what their mom said. Diosito te va a castigar. God's going to punish you if you don't come to church. So now we got a church full of people that are full of fear. So that's what I'm, I put in this note. The undercurrent of fear woven into teaching. The concept of the original sin, divine judgment, God's wrath, eternal punishment can create a mental environment burdened in worry and anxiety over your worthiness and whether your actions will result in divine retribution. And hopefully you don't live that way, but I find myself, even after all these years of preaching faith and preaching a gospel of grace, I find myself still under the spell of that. How many know what I'm talking about? Because it was so implanted in me since I was a little kid, and, I, and again, I'm not, I had, you know, my mom was awesome, and she's in heaven today with my dad, and I love her, and I miss her dearly. Mother's Day is not a good day for me, because I really do miss my mom a lot. But, you know, they did the best they could with what they had, and they did the best with how they were raised, but parents, listen to me, don't use God as a fear tactic for your kids. And I got one even better, don't use me either. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, I like little kids. They're awesome. I really do like little kids. And some kids look at me like, because I've said, if you don't behave, I'm going to tell pastor. Well, you know, say kukui. Come on, man. No, I like that you didn't say that. These kids look at me like they're trembling, you know. No, we don't use fear for anything. Don't use fear to teach anything. But my point of this point is, you know, the concepts of, of religion, and I'm not going to break them down, but you get what I'm saying. All these teachings that, that make you feel like you're not worthy. All these teachings that make you feel like, oh, I'm never doing good enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm not going to church enough. I'm not you know, serving enough. I'm not, I'm not. These things have been implanted by religion in you. You know, maybe your parents are otherwise. And we have to, be, we have, to have that self-awareness. That's why he, I keep going back to that little word, Abba, Abba, Abba. Remember that word. Because he is daddy. He made a choice to adopt you. He made a choice with all your imperfections, with all your hang-ups. He made that choice. And if he made a choice to bring you into his family, he's, he didn't bring you into his family to torture you. He didn't bring you into his family to beat you down. Amen. He brought you into his family to make you better and to heal you. So you got to be careful with these things because, let me go to the last line, your fate in the afterlife can loom like a specter in the back of your mind, subtly influencing your thoughts and behavior. You know, there was, wow, this is a long story. I'll try to give you the super summarized version of it. There was a time where we had, when I was still doing youth ministry in this church, there was a time, Diana will remember that, remember Diana? We had, we had more kids in our youth than we had in adults. We would pull in 120, 130 young every Sunday night, every Sunday night. And it was food, and it was music, and it was, we had smoke machines. It was so much fun when I was younger. And I remember there was a group of young people that would come from an athletic organization. 
that I want to say their name. It starts with an F and a C and an A. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not judging that, but I'm not sure what they were taught, but I would give an altar call, and every Sunday, the same bunch would come up. And I finally sat them down. I said, what do you all do all week to think you lost your salvation? I'm sure they probably did a lot of things to think they lost their salvation. But it was like the same bunch. And I said, who wants to accept Jesus? Come forward. And it was always, you know, it, was, I could almost, it got to a point where I could almost tell you who was going to come up. And it was all, usually it was those kids, you know, that, that came from this other. And it was fine. We loved all of them. But I was thinking, what, what are they being taught? Because if you think you lose your salvation from Sunday to Sunday, you've got to resolve what salvation is. <laughs> salvation is adoption. I'm sure the first time your kid misbehaved, you threw him away. I'm done with you. Nope, that's it. You're not worthy of being in this house. The kid's like two years old, right? Spill the milk. No, come on. I know that's silly. But that's how we act with God. We go to church, we had a great service, and then something happens during the week, and now you feel like God has abandoned you, and you're not worthy, and you're not even saved anymore. No, it's not like that. God adopted us knowing what a messed up deal he was getting. And you don't think that adoption and the blood of Jesus has enough power to keep you in the family even when you mess up? Yes, but there is repentance, right? There is, because spiritual people... This is what I'm saying. Spiritual people aren't using grace as an excuse to sin. Now, that's out there. There's a teaching out there. It's called hyper-grace. That's crazy. No, no. Spiritual people have that self-awareness like, oh, dude, I shouldn't have said that. And you go to God. And if necessary, you go to the person and fix it. Right? That self-awareness comes. But that's what I'm trying to understand. Religion, you know, even though some of the th- it's not all necessarily bad, it does have a tendency to lock us into these ideas. So your fate in the afterlife can loom like a specter, so now you don't even know if you are saved or not. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt like that? Because you're thinking, I'm saved, I'm holy, and then you did like had a royal meltdown. That doesn't mean you're not unsaved, that just means you operated in the flesh. And you need to bring it back into the spiritual realm. Let's go to the next one. I think there's a couple more I want to show you. So, spirituality, I'm talking about fear, in relationship to spirituality. That's what we're dealing with. Spirituality, by contrast, spirituality typically discards the vestiges of fear and worry in favor of a more loving and compassionate approach to life and death. Spirituality embraces a conscience-based worldview that supports all human beings on their path uh, to the awakening and unconditional love and kindness. You see, spiritual people have this thing where, you know, come on, most of you had to experience this in some form or fashion, but when, before Jesus, most of us were very selfish. Yes, you know, there's kindness in people, there's good people that don't have Jesus, but for the most part, it's really about us. And maybe our family, you know, so forth and so on. But that spiritual awareness, one of the things that, 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 that Jesus' life causes in you is now you have a desire to be a blessing to other people. You know, why are we involved in Cuba? I got a great report, and I'll, I'll talk to you at the end of the service, about Cuba. You know, even as bad as it is, we have some good news. But human beings on their path to awaken in unconditional love and kindness, your choices and behavior are guided not by fear of punishment, but rather by a desire to end suffering and create a peaceful and loving world for all. I know that sounds very, you know, big. But here's the thing. We're not, we're not trying to 
come on, we're never going to have world peace. As long as they're unsaved people, there's no such thing as world peace. Right? People without God are always going to fight about something. But what the idea is, we believe we can make a difference. So, you know, spirituality causes this thing, and I look back at our history, you know, and I think it's some of the craziest things we did. I look, hindsight, you know, we've been talking about our vacation Bible school, and, and we have a couple meetings this week, and also I'm excited Laredo's doing their VBS, and it's going to be great and awesome. But I remember when we did our first VBS, that's how, how could I put it? <laughs> it just seemed like the right thing to do at the moment. Now I look back and like, what were you thinking? Because I was working full time. I was already in the ministry. <laughs> That's probably going to happen to you guys. <laughs> They're like, oh, Jesus. No, wait, wait for the story, because you guys didn't do that. So I was working full time in Mexico. I mean, I was working for an American company, but it was across the river. And I was, we were already having church in my house. We, we didn't have a church building. We were having Sunday morning in my house. And I had bought a mobile home. We live in the mobile home in my old house. There in Miranda City was basically the church. It was just an old, old, you know, rinky-dink house. But we had all these kids coming to church, you know. And we said, well, let's do a VBS. And, and, and Monica was, and her sisters were up here, and there were a couple of ladies of the church that said, oh, that's a good idea, let's do a VBS. What I didn't realize is that 78 kids showed up to my house <laughs> for five days. <laughs> now, the good part of it was I wasn't there. Because they were having BBAs in the middle of the summer, and it was somewhere in the middle of the day. So I would leave at 6 in the morning to go to work, and I would come at 5, and everybody was looking at me like they wanted to kill me, and I didn't know why. And we didn't know about Miranda City kids. Monica's laughing because... Because we had all these arts and crafts, but some of them included scissors. These are ghetto, man. That only was the first day we took all the scissors away. They were cutting their own hair off and somebody else's hair off. And, and I would get home and I was like, what's that smell? I learned later that's BBS smell. <laughs> right, Angie? We know what that smell is. This room will smell like that for two weeks after BBS. It's, it's just a weird, it's not an ugly smell, it's just different. <laughs> it's 115 little kids in the summer smell. Anyway, and they were all like shell-shocked. And, and then they would tell me, but you know what? Those were the seeds. It was really hard on them because I wasn't there. I would come home and I was hired from work and everybody was looking at me like, like, what happened? We have 78 kids in our living room. I'm like, yeah, that's quite a bit. But you know, <laughs> this is a little house. I mean, it wasn't a big house. My point of that was it made sense back then. Because these are the things that that last line that I'm referring to, that, that something causes these weird ideas to say, you got to do this. Then we got smart and said, no, next VBS we're doing it at the, at the Civic Center because we're not doing this in my house. <laughs> so we, rent, we would rent the Civic Center around the city. We had a bunch of, we had 100 kids show up. And we were trying to figure out how to evangelize and bring these kids. In a, and it's, it's a beautiful thing when you don't know what you're doing because you don't know what you're doing, yeah. right? So... My wife, as sweet and dandy as she looks, she would dress up in a clown suit. And she would get on the back of my motorcycle, and we would go, I mean, that's a sight to see. Because you got a guy on a Harley, and then you got 
they don't know if it's a girl what dressed in a clown suit on the back. You see, you're like, Pastor, really? Well, it made sense then. And we went to Bruni, we'd go on the bike, and, and she'd get off and hand out flyers and stuff. And then two kids, I guess they're from, from Oilton or Bruni, I don't know what happened, but she made them mad. Because my, my wife, when she dressed up as a clown suit, she looked like the clown from your nightmares, okay? <laughs> it was the creepy clown. It wasn't... It, you know, like the clown that people are scared of? That's what she looked like. So anyway, she made... you remember that? So we're at the Civic Center... Guys, we got so many great stories of Jesus. And these two kids show up. And my wife is, she's not in a clown suit anymore. She's at the door receiving them. And the kids come and says, we're here to see the stupid clown. <laughs> they were going to beat up the clown. And she goes, really? Yeah. Where is he? And she goes, I'm the clown. No, ma'am, you're not the clown. We want to see, who's the clown? She says, really, I'm the clown. Well, they're like, yeah, whatever. I mean, they're just hilarious stuff. But you know where I'm going with all this? is that now your spirit has caused something inside of you that in the natural might not make a lot of sense. But you know it's the right thing. Yes. Are you still here? Yes. You know it's the right thing. Our involvement with Cuba, I thought it was a one-trip thing. I went as a musician. I didn't go as a preacher. Yeah, I went as a preacher. went to do a worship conference in Cuba in 2012. I figured that would be awesome. It would be a great trip, and we'd just go there, and that was the end of that. Well, it didn't turn into that. It turned into a completely different dynamic, and now... It's big and it's huge and it's amazing what God's doing with the Faithway in Cuba. But it just seemed like the right thing. First time I went to Ukraine, you would have thought I would have gone first and done something. No, I took 17 Hebronville kids. Amen. Anybody here for that went with us or no? We didn't lose any. We brought them all back. But some of these kids had never even been on an airplane. And here I am hauling them across the ocean to the... To the, you know, to the, as far as you can go and still called Europe. Ukraine's the furthest you can go and you're still called Europe. And it was like, oh my gosh, you know. I remember one, one little girl that went with us, which little girl, she was probably 14. We were already there. It took us 27 hours to get there. And we were there like second day. She goes, I miss my mom. I want to go home. I'm like, no, it's not happening. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. But you know what? It seemed like the right thing. So my point of that is spirituality, there's a sense in you now where God is speaking to you at a level that you understand. And, and that's why I'm saying that's such an important thing that you've got to understand, that unconditional love and kindness, because the word Abba carries that idea. And fear will always be at the door. I'm telling you, fear does not leave me alone. It's not going to leave you alone. Just because I say I don't operate in fear, that doesn't mean there isn't any fear. You know, we're planning a trip to Ukraine at the end of, of June. I'm still praying. I'm still, you know, I want... I'm pretty sure it's God's will. There's a conference that they invited me to, a faith conference, and I want to take my, my wife and Caden with me. And, you know, I, every once in a while, the devil's like, you shouldn't go over there. I'm like, wait, wait, I don't listen to you. I want God to tell me if I should go, not, not, not the devil, amen? Because sometimes there's like fear attached. Well, with all this COVID and all this thing, you shouldn't be going over there. Wait a minute, that's not how we operate. We operate only through the voice of God. If God wants me in Ukraine, I'll go to Ukraine. So what I'm trying to develop is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, sound mind, and of love. And that's the big key I, I want you to understand. Spirituality, really, that's the, the, the summary of the message. Spirituality begins to grow 
when the love of God begins to explode in you. That's when you know you're there. Now, that doesn't make you, are you, not really there, but meaning that now you're, you're in a development process where, you, where you're led by the Spirit. That's what we read in Romans. Remember, those that are led by the Spirit are children of God. You're not led by the flesh. You're not led by your emotions. You're not led by the natural circumstances. You're led by your Spirit. That's what makes you happen to do a VBS in your house or get on a plane and go halfway across the world. So what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is develop that. Develop that idea because God loves you, but guess what? God loves people, and God's gonna, God really wants to love people through you. That's what his intention is. And it's time the Christians, and I really love this church because you guys are so awesome in, in some of these things that we've developed over the years, but you know, to, to, to see people, for example, in Cuba that have so much need, people that most of you probably will never, ever meet. But some of you are, are heavily involved in partnership and in giving and in praying for them. Where is that coming from? Because now you realize that the love of God in you has began to grow. So spirituality, according to the scripture, is more about developing the love of God than developing anything else. Let me go to the next one, RJ. I think we're almost done. I want to start. Yeah, this will be it. So now, let's go back to Romans 8, and we'll finish with this this morning. I mean, there's a couple more things I wanted to talk to you about, but we'll skip some of those. Romans 8.35. This is a whole summary of everything we talked. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives us a list. Things that all of us deal with. I'm not going to say every day, but we deal with it in our life. Of course, we deal with our version of it. This is, you know, first century, but nonetheless... Number one, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Those are all, you know, we could, we could have a modern day version of all of them, but you could say, you know, shall problems, worries, people coming against us, lack, couldn't make the bills this month, you know, have to hide the car because the repo guy's coming. You don't have enough. Now, back then, they were real things. Famine was a real thing. Nakedness was a real thing. Now, nowadays, we don't have that. But nonetheless, or peril, just, you know, COVID, war, whatever, crime. There's a lot of things out there. But then he tells you, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things. Everybody say all these things. In other words, everything that the world can throw at you, everything that, that's out there trying to discourage you, everything that's out there trying to bury you, to break you, because guess what? Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's going to stop. Are you okay with that? Jesus said, remember Jesus? He said, in this world you'll have tribulation. But he didn't stop there. He said, but fear not, I have overcome the world. Yes, we're going to go through stuff, but guess what? I've resolved. I resolved this many years ago. I don't like trouble. I don't like trials. I don't like pressure. But I resolved from the beginning of whatever the pressure is, I'm going to come out on the other side. Because even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't build a house in the valley of the shadow of death. I will go through it, and I will get through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'll be up on the mountain again. Amen? So, it says, I am, so Paul says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, whatever your present situation is today, nor things to come, whatever you think is coming down the pipe in your future, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to get you to this morning to do is something. 
develop your love for God. You want to be a spiritual person? You continue, just like you develop your love for your spouse or, or a good friend or somebody close to you. These are relationship things. Jesus never came to establish religions. That was never his goal. And when you get to heaven, if they think they're going to separate you by church and denomination, it's not. You know who's going to be in heaven? Followers of Christ. Whatever church brand they went to, it makes a bit of difference to God. No difference it makes him. Because he didn't start this. Some churches say, we're the only one. No. Anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Well, I hope you got something out of all that this morning. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to leave it right there. I want to pray for you, and then I want to share some, a report from Cuba. I want every head bowed, every eye closed this, afternoon, this morning. Speaking also to our online church, so glad you guys are out there being faithful, just like if you were in the building. But if you're here this morning, and you know, I can assume most of you, I know a lot of you, I think I know most of you, but I don't want to assume anything. So I'd rather take a couple minutes and give you the greatest gift that you can get. And his name is Jesus. Before I pray, just make a quick inventory of your spiritual life. Not that anybody's bad, but you know, even if you're born again, it's still good to pray this prayer. Because it's a commitment and a recommitment or even a reminder of what we're talking about. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, or if you're here this morning and you're still de dealing with fear and dealing with anxiety and dealing with all these things, that, that we, and we all deal with them, don't, don't feel bad about that. But there is something that you can help you process these things, help you get you through these things. And it's very simply the love of Jesus. I want you to fall in love with him because spirituality and dealing with fear and dealing with anxiety and dealing with persecution, all these things, spirituality is just the bottom, bottom line of it is Abba, Father, he chose you. He loved you first. While you were a sinner, he loved you. Now it's our turn to love him back and grow in this relationship. Say this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I understand that I need a Savior. I can't do this on my own. So I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. I might not understand everything, but I do understand love. And you love me first. So forgive me for all my sins, for all my shortcomings, and take my life and hide it into your life, Lord Jesus. Today, I'm a child of God. I'm not alone anymore. And I will be effective for the Master's use. Your eyes closed. This is my prayer for you. Father, I thank you for all those that prayed this prayer, including myself. And Lord, we all are on the same journey. There's not one of us greater than the other in this room. But we all need grace. And we all need help. And Father, I pray for everyone right now that's struggling with anything. I see faces, but I don't know what's going back at home. I don't know what's going inside. But I know that your love, Father, covers all, all, all any distress, any anxiety, any spirit of depression, especially any spirit of fear that has been trying to distract us. We take authority over it now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, wonderful Holy Spirit, for your goodness and your greatness in our lives. That we are world overcomers. 
Say this with me. I can do all things through Jesus Christ that gives me strength. Amen. I think he deserves a hand clap out now. Come on. Glory to God. You may be seated briefly, and um, we're going to get you out of here. Remember, you all are welcome to stay. I know a lot of people have Mother's Day's plans, and that's fine and wonderful. But if you don't have plans, stay there. You know, there's a fellowship. There's food. All the ladies, as you heard, y'all get to sit down and have the men minister to you. That'd be awesome. That doesn't include me. I'm going to sit down and watch them minister to me, too. No, just kidding. But um, you're welcome to stay as soon as we dismiss the building next door. We'll have fellowship. I wanted to share a, a report with Cuba. And some of you have been very, very gracious in your giving and your donations. But Cuba is going through a season that even the Cuban people have never experienced. Regarding some areas of Cuba experiencing hunger, as we've seen in other. And, which is very, very sad because this is a very prosperous island the possibility of it is insane but um i'm not gonna get all the details the government is just it's just so complicated down there but we are believing the changes are coming you know that's all i can think of but um over the last month or so we were able to send upwards of 2400 dollars, maybe even more if i lost count we sent twice 1200 dollars. that's 24 and then there was probably a couple times but one of the things that was happening was that they couldn't find food and I'm talking basic staples, you know, for the Cubans, rice, vegetables, pork meat, because they can't eat beef. Not that they can't, it's just that it's illegal for them. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. And Pastor Yoed has such a huge heart. But he grabbed onto something when I first met him, and I told him many, many years ago, and you should, I wish you could hear him on the phone when he calls me. He's always so grateful for this church, always so very grateful for this church. But um, we, we tried, you know, we looked through various ways to get food down there, and, and pretty much everything was shut down. I'm not going to get all the story, but looked into even the shipping containers out of Mexico, and H reached out to Samaritan's Purse. They, they're not able to do that unless the government lets them, and so forth and so on. So the last thing I told Yoel, this was about a month ago, I said, Yoel, the only thing we can do right now, because we're faith church, right? We're faith people. We know how to believe God. We're going to send money. And we're just going to believe God you find food. Well, guess what? It worketh. And he began on this trek, and where they couldn't even get a pound of rice, they began to find hundreds of pounds of rice. They couldn't get any meat. They began to find somebody had, you know, pigs. They'd buy the whole pig. Well, to make a long story short, and, and, he, and I had a great conversation with, with Yoel, and he knows that we are, we, are, we are partners with him. You know, the book of Philippians, Paul talks about partnership. Philippians chapter 1. Our part, and that's why we live in this great nation, is we have the ability to send resources down there. You know, I wish we could send more, but we do what we can. And he was able to find food. So I want to show you a few pictures that he sent, and then I want to send you the last text message that he sent me. But go ahead, so there's your pork. <laughs> he found three pigs. And they're like, ew, that's gross. No, that's pork, all right? <laughs> Keep going, RJ. Um, I believe that's either beans or rice. Yeah, it's rice, you can see down there. Where they couldn't even find a pound of rice. Look, how I many we found over 400 pounds of rice. 
Next one. Those are the packages with the pork meat. Here's where I'm going with this. Yoel did all the footwork, but he couldn't have done it without you. We were able to feed over 67 families. Glory to God. Amen. That's what I talk about, a little big church, right? Come on, give the Lord praise. So when you wonder how bad you have it, remember these pictures. You don't have it that bad. And you have the ability to be a blessing. And I want you to read this. For those of you that read Spanish, for those of you in English, I'll translate. He says, Sunday, we were able to help 63 families, and we want to thank you guys for the help that you bring so much joy to all these homes in Cuba that have so much need. And people are, are going through Amruna's hunger greater than I've ever seen in my life in this country. Now this country's always been in lack, but he's never seen it this bad. I want to thank God for your faithfulness and for the church in Hebronville and Laredo for what you're doing. That's the text message I got from Pastor Yoel. And I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not saying that to, you know, you guys do what you got to do, but I want you to continue to encourage you on our partnership with them. We're going to get through this, and Cuba's going to come back. You know, years, a few years ago, three years ago, I guess, um, let's see, no, that's actually more, five years ago, God gave us the vision to buy a farm, and that is a very complicated term when you talk in Cuba, because you buy it, but it's not really yours. In other words, the government can take it away whenever they feel like it. And but the farm, which is roughly about 40 acres, is producing quite a bit of food, um, a lot of the staples. But back then, we didn't know. Back then, the idea of the farm was just to put a camp, a Christian camp for, for retreats, and we're going to get to that eventually. But now it's become this vital source of food. And, you know, we came with, with the vision a few years ago with no money. I just knew God told us to do it, and between us and Faith Exchange from New York City, we were able to raise about $32,000 in a September, October, in four months. <laughs> Glory to God. And we had promised the landowner that by December, we actually were, were even willing to give him some earnest money. We said, look, we'll, we'll give you $5,000. If we don't come through, you can keep the $5,000 and we're done. And the guy said, no, 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 I don't need that. Just um, I'll wait till December. So we believe God in the December of, I believe that was 2016, we had all the money. The oil came up. And back then, he had to take it all cash. You can imagine that. <laughs> But he, we were able to purchase the farm, and now that farm's become a blessing. A lot of, a lot of the, the greens, you know, the, 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 the staples, not the meat, is coming from the farm. So I want to thank you guys for doing this. I just want to give you that report, you know, because we've been praying for Cuba and praying for the circumstances there. And, you know, for those that are watching us online and think that socialism is the way to go, um, I would love to take you to Cuba. You can see it in full practice, what 60 years of socialism looks like. So pray for this nation. We don't want to go down that path. It has never worked anywhere in the world. It's not going to work in America. But I did want to share that testimony from Cuba because a lot of you are very, very heavily involved with us. And thank you. Thank you so much for doing it. Amen. So I just wanted to, you know, that was a quick report. And the last thing we want to do this morning, if you want to, you know, sow a seed towards Cuba or just sow a seed into to the running of this ministry, there's instructions on the seed. Everything we do is completely in-house. I, I say that every once in a while. We don't have any exterior help. You know, we're not part of a big organization that, that sends money. Nope. Everything that Faithway does is because of you. Every one of you. And every every dollar is super valuable. You know, if you can only give a dollar, if you can give a, a thousand, it doesn't matter. You know, 
we need it all because God has called us to great things. Amen? Thank God for this church. Thank God for the life. Thank God for Laredo Church. You guys are part of this also. I just wanted to share that with you. So there's instructions there. If you need an envelope for your giving, there should be one nearby, I think. If you do paper giving, if not, somebody will hand you one. But um, Cuba, we're, you know, we're still working. And, you know, another, another praise report I have is Mexico finally opened up for last Sunday was our first Sunday in-house. We were able to keep that building open for over a year. We're paying rent, and that's really, you know, my wife and I would talk about it, and I talked about it with Pastor Maggie in Mexico. You know, it's like for a year we paid rent for a building we couldn't use, but we didn't want to lose it because it's such a great building. You've been there, right, H? You ever been to the Puebla Church? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice building, right? Great location. And, yeah, so you guys kept that building open. Amen? And that's how it works. You know, they, they were, they, they'd raise about 50% of the rent, and we'd, we help them about half of the rent. But that's what Faithway is, you know. It's, and that's the reason I'm sharing this is not for you to give or not to give. Is that's what it is. That's when you say, I can support people that I will probably never, ever meet or keep a church open in Mexico that I will never, never attend to. You know, that's what it is. That's, that's the spirit of the church. And I'm so proud of you guys and so blessed, really, to be your pastor because it's amazing to me. I, I just got to think, you know, what if our church was a couple thousand? Imagine that. Woo! With this heart. We're a couple hundred, but if we're a couple thousand. So keep inviting and keep bringing people. And, and, you know, when you invite people, share the vision of Faithway. Don't just say, come to my church. Tell them what we're involved in. We're not just a church that just meets on Sunday and then we go home. We are heavily involved in the missions, you know, um, helping other places, helping other countries. We're involved with the Navajo Nation, Mexico, of course, Cuban Nation, Ukraine, and, of course, our local ministry. So there's instructions. You know what to do. And go ahead and stand with me, and I'll pray for this offering, and we will be dismissed. Thank you guys for coming, and again, don't forget the fellowship. Also, Wednesday night, we have prayer at 6 p.m. if you'd like to join us. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the word this morning.